You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Welcome in, everyone, to the Teak Nation podcast. It is officially February. Uh, Groundhog Day was yesterday, as you listen to this, but it's tomorrow as we're recording, so don't know what the Groundhog said yet. You'll have to check in on that. Donnie, pretty exciting week in in a lot of different ways. It's Super Bowl week now. Uh, Stock market's on fire. It's recruitment season in Teak, so uh, where, where, where do we go? Where do we start? I think we've got to start with the biggest story of last week, which is the the stock market and GameStop and bring in an expert to to pick his brain, someone who's a teak, but also someone who has a lot of experience in this industry who can highlight what's happened and what he thinks is going to happen moving forward. We do have an expert on standby. Uh, We're going to switch things up just a little bit and go to an interview first. We also have an interview later on in the episode. So two guests coming in, well, three if you count Zach, but he's just part of the program at this point. So with that, we're gonna go over to our good friend, Brian Keller to tell us what the heck is going on with GameStop. Brian, welcome in my friend. Also known as BK, we'll probably call him BK throughout the course of this interview. So we'll we'll just get that out of the way now. BK, uh, you are down in West Palm Beach, Florida. It looks to be very sunny in your home office there. Uh, is there anything just bad about being in, in West Palm or is it all pretty much perfect right now? There was a little bit of a chill this morning, oh. um, which is why I have this. Yeah. So um, otherwise, no, it's, it's a pretty good time of the year to be here. Um, and I wish we were doing this in person. It'd be a heck of a lot more fun. I'm, I'm sorry about the chill, man. Um, yeah. It'll, it'll we'll get, get there. I, I was just curious, the chill, what temperature is the chill, just to make this worse for those of us uh, enduring snow right now? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to breach the low 70s today here. So it's, we're kind of in for it through the day. Tough times. Yeah, it wasn't just a morning thing, and then it's going to get up there. It's, yeah. Well, uh, if you want to drop a, a PayPal or a GoFundMe to support the Brian Keller Jacket Fund at the end of, the, the end of this interview, um, I'm sure our, our guests out there are, are sympathetic to your cause. Um, so the reason, sure. Sure. the reason that Brian has joined us today is that he is in the wealth management industry, which means that he keeps a very close eye on the stock market, on Wall Street. That is really your job, right, Brian, is to use the stock market to make people money, correct? That's a great way to really shortly summarize what I do. Yeah, we we invest money on behalf of other people. Um, They trust us to make decisions uh, and make, you know, simply buy and sell uh, orders uh, on behalf of their savings and retirement. And if they sell a business or if they inherit some money or uh, whatever that is, that is that is what we do, and, and we we do it a lot of different ways. You know, there's as they say, there's not just one way to skin a cat. There's a lot of ways to to do this successfully. But um, yeah, we we utilize the power of the stock market and uh, and capital markets more broadly. So by that, I also mean uh, bonds, uh, options, and other things uh, to do that. 
Well, I, what I didn't hear you mention was was the short squeeze, which is why you're here today, because uh, Wall Street has uh, gone a little nuts throughout the last week. We are uh, recording this on a Monday morning. It is 9.09 a.m., which means we're getting ready to open up here in about 21 minutes, which will be fun. Um, but I think by this point, most of America now, uh, even though they may not have at this time last week, understands roughly what a short squeeze is. It's, it's hedge funds buying stocks, expecting them to go down. And uh, Wall Street bets on Reddit has, has fired back. My question, my first question to you is, why now? Like, what, what have you seen that has caused, that, not just with GameStop, but with some of these other, the AMC, BlackBerry, Naked Brands, Nokia, why this massive push to try and short squeeze all these hedge funds uh, at this moment in time? Um, so it's a great question, as you do. You ask a lot of really good questions, Al. Um, Thank you for the compliment. You know, I think in order to really appreciate what's going on with GameStop and all these other things, we have to take into consideration a lot of other things that are happening that people might not link together. Um, so an example of that would be all of this stimulus effort that has been taken once COVID started and the fact that, that checks were sent out to individuals is a very rare thing. I, I don't know of, uh, especially in recent memory, uh, in our lifetimes when that's happened before, um, at least on a, on a, on a national stimulus level. So, so that's one item where you have checks being sent to individuals. Um, another thing that's happened over the past couple of years is that you have the ability to, to trade for free. There's no commission costs in order to transact all of these different stocks. You know, 15, 20 years ago, that was costing 10, 15 plus dollars per transaction just to do that. So by removing that, by allowing this to happen on your mobile device for free, and a whole bunch of people have a whole bunch of money, you know, even if it's just a hundred bucks, um, that you can set all this stuff up. The ability to do that is now completely, um, you know, fairly easy. And then you bring bring in, and, and these Reddit boards, these aren't a new thing. I mean, back in the dot com in the in the 2000s, where you had all these tech stocks going crazy, you had Yahoo uh, finance message boards. So. You know, this is just the Reddit boards today are just today's version of, of what all that stuff was happening in the past. And I think what what makes GameStop really unique, and, and we can go into this, and, and I don't think this is something we're just going to continue to see happen in the future, was it was so uniquely, from a structural standpoint, well positioned for this to happen relatively easily. So what do I mean by that? Um, the, 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 the stock itself was and I'm going to get the exact numbers wrong, but I'm pretty close here. It was the, um, sh the short ratio on it was way overdone. It was like 120% short. And, and, and so how do you, how does that even happen? Um, and so you calculate short ratio just by the, the total dollar value of short exposure versus its total equity value in the market. So how could a stock's total equity value and more than that be actually held short, and you get that by not just shorting the underlying stock, utilizing, you know, synthetic doing that, which are effectively option contracts, and 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 that's where you get the overdone short. 
So all you need is a little bit of squeeze, and that's what caused this thing to go from you know $17 a share to 100 and something, and then everyone just kind of piled on after that. But that's pretty rare. Like that doesn't happen, you know, regularly. Um, and and I and I appreciate that other people have kind of looked for the AMC's and the Blackberries and all these other things of the world. I, I just don't think you're going to get that same reaction in the future. And and something else people need to appreciate too is that, you know, the markets the markets are 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 really smart because they're collectively all of our thoughts going into it, all of our thoughts and actions, and they adapt. So the market's not going to allow itself to be set up like this in the future for, for this to happen again. It's like, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice. Um, so it, it's fascinating. Um, I think it's, it's interesting, but in many ways, it's, it's not necessarily like a new and novel thing. We've had a lot of weird things happen in the past, I mean, just a couple of years. I mean, you had negative oil prices um, at, at one point, uh, couple months ago, I forget, I think it was over the summer. Um, we over in Europe and Japan, you have negative yielding bonds. You know, that doesn't make sense either. There's a whole lot of things happening that don't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and this is just kind of one more example of that. What do you expect BK for the fallout to be for Robinhood? Um, so we've kind of started seeing that they've, uh, they've limited their trading um, around this stock and I think nine others that would they, they've, they've reduced it uh, I saw this morning just to a couple others I I think they got a lot of anger and pushback that they were limiting uh, these folks from transacting which I actually don't blame them um, they have a lot of inherent risk because uh, I won't go too deep into it but the the plumbing and the piping of the systems where 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 Robinhood themselves are are, are are taking on risks just from order flow and and getting all these trades set up and so there was there was news that they had to tap their credit lines just to just to support the company you know based on the the sheer volume and quantity and and dollars that were flowing through just on these you know a few stocks so I think it's a wake up call to them um, on on how they need to position things and maybe how they need to start kind of limiting things uh, in in terms of access and exposure and and I said before you know free trading. You know, on on the surface, that's good. I could quibble with it. Um, the ability to just pull your cell phone out and just pop a few trades in, you know, there are good things about that. I think there are bad things about that. I think I think we're now realizing that just allowing people um, to just kind of trade and speculate as much as they want and however they want, that's okay. There are some good things about that, but there are some really serious you know, bad things. And, and I, and a couple months ago, so, unfortunately, some, I think kid committed suicide, uh, from, from being overexposed on Robinhood. I think that was more options related. Um, and you're going to see stuff like that again. I mean, nobody needs to be going in and buying GameStop here. You know, the short squeeze is done. Like that's long over. Um, and, and, and everyone's just kind of trying to move on to the next thing. So this, this will end badly for a lot of people. Um, and that's just, that's, that's, that's pretty unfortunate. How do you see, I think what's interesting, you, you started to talk about the other aspects that play into this and this being a moment versus a movement. That's, that's really what I get out of where you were going, but you know, the upheaval, I feel like there's a lot of areas, at least in the United States and even around the world where there's a movement to 
overthrow a number of systems and and traditional aspects of society or or different you know businesses are you seeing that is it do you believe this is part of that in some way yeah i think that's a great connection that um whether it's governmental or you know big corporation or the you know the, the big evil hedge fund guy or uh whatever it is you know there's a there's this uh, you know um effort to to fight the man and be able to do kind of whatever you want and express yourself however you want and buying GameStop's a much better way to do it than some of the other things we've seen in recent uh, weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a, there's totally a connection. And, and if you see, you know, the leaders of this moment, although I think in some aspects you can call it a movement, you know, who are very out there on social media and who are, um, who, who, who kind of are the, the torchbearer for these kinds of things. Um, again, this is just one stop along the way for them. You know, this is they've just kind of found this to 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 kick up some dust, and then they'll kind of move on to the next thing. So, I I, I certainly do think that that's that's all interconnected there as well. It's it, it's really it's fascinating. Um, and this, like I said, this is probably the least from a humanitarian point of view. This is the least worrisome of those things, but um, it's it's it, there's there's a connection there. BK, uh, one of the things when we talked Friday and and kind of set this whole thing up was we talked a little bit about the future of the market. And you, you mentioned it a little bit um, when you talked about the, the negative aspects of now. There's no question this has opened up all sorts of new day traders, people who are opening Robinhood accounts and on other apps who are going to start trading more regularly because this has been their exposure into the stock market. For you as a professional who deal has dealt with the market for decades and, and has has been working on it at a very high professional level, you know, where does this put your mind about moving forward, you know, the future of the, the market itself, but also just the future of, of trading in general and how people might approach their own relationship with the stock market? I think it's really important to differentiate all these folks coming in and, and a lot of them are new and, and doing this for the first time. Um, they're not learning to become investors. They're trying to become speculators. And that's very different. Um, and speculation tends to end really poorly for 80% of the people doing it. And investing tends to end really positively for 80% of the people you know, doing it. So as long as people know what game they're playing and that they can look at those things completely separately, that's fine. I mean, there, there's always going to be speculators in the market. There's always going to be some weird headline, you know, driven activity that's happening. Um, and when it's not GameStop and it, you know, today it's, you know, they're trying to short squeeze silver, which isn't going to work anywhere near as well as GameStop. And, um, and then, and then it'll move on to compl something completely different that we couldn't, you know, think of today. Um, so what I hope is that a lot of those folks coming in and, and trying this and, and, and going through this and, and learning and, and probably losing money, say, okay, well, that didn't work. Let me try to do this the right way. And, um, and let me get into this where, I, where I'm, I'm really building long-term wealth. Um, I'm contributing to my 401ks and my IRAs and I'm making good decisions and I'm reading some books. And uh, I, I hope that's where that pivots to, um, but this certainly isn't going to you know, bring thousands of speculators in the market who are just going to speculate for the rest of their lives because none of them are going to have any money. 
you know, after probably a couple of weeks, definitely a couple of months. Um, so it's going to force them kind of to go elsewhere. Where do you see the market going, BK, and, and also the economy when you think about, you mentioned it's been a rare event that we've had a stimulus like this. It appears all but likely we're going to have another stimulus. The real discussion, right, is about how much is going to be in that stimulus, but it's going to be larger than, most likely it's going to be larger than $600 checks everybody received in the last eight to 12 weeks. What do you see with the market and the economy as we head into 2021? We're really in in such strange, odd times um, where, you know, I think it's important to mention if you look at um, unemployment in this in this country, forget globally, but just in this country. And it's worth mentioning that the consumer, the U.S. consumer is, you know, two thirds, a little bit more of an impact into how our economy does. So as the consumer does well, our economy tends to do well. That you know, just as a, as a really simple rule of thumb. So I, I I I say that and then add, but we're currently at a worse employment uh, standing in this country right now than we were at the worst points of the 2008-2009 financial crisis. We're we're still losing each week more jobs than at the worst point we did back in 2008. So it's hard to make sense of why are the markets effectively at all-time highs? You know, why are the markets doing so strong? Why did the markets finish up, you know, in the in the mid to high teens last year, uh, broadly, when we still have, you know, terrible unemployment rate? We still we still need to have checks going out to people. Like those two things shouldn't make sense. Um, and I think that's what's really challenging here. And when you look underneath the surface, what you realize is is the 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 companies that are driving our markets it's 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 not you know the S&P 500 it's not 500 stocks all doing well it's it's really just a small handful of stocks uh the apples the microsofts the amazons the facebooks you know tesla just got added recently that things up you know a stupid amount over the last couple of months um it's those few things that are that are carrying so much of the weight and driving so much of the game and when you look underneath the surface, um, you see a lot of companies that had to cut their dividends to save cash so that they could survive, had to issue a lot of debt, had to issue a lot of stock, and, and that were just in survival mode, and who also had to rely on the government too, not just consumers. So, um, so I think that's something that's going to take a long time to kind of work its way through and, and, and work itself out. And, and the question is, is can we... Can we can we close that gap? Can we get um, those folks who are struggling, who can't find work, who, you know, to to, to get them back into the economy as soon as possible? Um, and that's going to be the key for our markets and our economy to move forward. Because over the long term, the the you can't separate the market from the economy. They 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 really have to kind of be somewhat in sync in order for, for things to make sense. But that could take years for that to to need to come together. Over the short term, they they don't have to make sense at all, and that's where we're at right now. So you know that gap has to close, um, and and hopefully it's the economy coming up to match where the the, the markets are. Um, and I and I think that's probably what you will see happen. Uh, we're going to have a strong year this year in the economy, just with you know people going back to work, um, the economy opening up, people traveling again, and do, and doing all that stuff. Uh, but I, I think it's safe to say it's going to be another interesting year with, if I, if I told you what was going to happen 
by the end of 2021 today, you'd look at me like I was crazy. Um, and then when we get there, they'd be like, oh yeah, that, that, that happened. DK, last question for me is this would be a missed opportunity if we didn't allow you to just dish for a couple minutes. If there are people out there listening who are actually curious about investing, about getting involved, about using their money to make more money that isn't dropping $1,000 on AMC in three minutes when the market opens, what would you tell them? How, how do you, you gave me some really great advice that, that I've used to just start dabbling in the, in the market a little bit. And I'm not an expert and I never will be, but um, you know, for those listeners out there who are listening to this and, and maybe they did make $10,000 on, on GameStop. Right. And now they're, they're sitting there thinking, okay, well, well, what's next for me? How would you advise people to intelligently utilize the, the stock market and all the different options they have? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of a lot of what people have been doing open Robinhood accounts, uh, save some money or use some savings to, to put it into the market um, and, and buy, and tra the, buy and transact. But the best way to learn about how to do things successfully and, um, and also, you know, how to not do things is, is just from making mistakes. I mean, that was the whole, you know, such, such a huge part of the benefit from all of our fraternity experiences was that we got to go through and make some mistakes and, um, you know, by a little bit of trial and error and, um, and we learned what not to do and we're better people for it. So, um, so I, I think a lot of what's happening is good, but I just think where, where people get so kind of off base is where they see, you know, successful investing as, as you said, you know, buying the GameStop and buying, and, and that's just, that's just not going to work out. So what I would encourage people to do is um, to really understand what drives long-term successful investing. Um, you know, GameStop is, was up at 1.3,000% over the course of a couple weeks, right? It took Amazon and Apple and so many other great companies decades to do that same thing, but they did it because their fundamentals and their business um, was, was so strong and it continued to grow and they had good management. So the, the more successful way that people are going to achieve that is by following those companies that do have those good long-term uh, opportunities and, and capabilities to, to do that over a sustained longer-term period of time. Um, because I can tell you what, GameStop company, their fundamentals aren't good. You know, they're not going to be a better company five years from now or even, you know, five months from now than they are today. So it's, it's and, and, and so much of it, Al, is, you know, pay attention to what you do as a consumer. Where do you shop? Um, what things do you like? What things do you want? Uh, my own experience, you know, us as a, as a household, me as a consumer, and I think, you know, man, I, uh, years ago, um, I would get so excited to go buy that Lululemon shirt. I wish I bought the stock. You know, it was a product that I liked. Um, you know, my wife and I bought like a Peloton, you know, three years ago. I should have bought the stock. Uh, it was a great product. So, so take that consumer um, interest and, and the analysis you do when you're buying something. And if you're willing to spend your own money on it, go do some Googling. Is it a publicly traded company? Is it something that, you know, uh, because you liked it, 
I bet you a lot of other people are going to like it. That means they have a good product. And, you know, that's a much better way to, to think about uh, building a portfolio uh, of, of individual stocks. There's also these things called ETFs, Alex, which I know you're now an expert in. Um, and you can go and buy little baskets of different uh, stocks that, you know, are all kind of thematically aligned or, um, or, or, you know, kind of give you exposure to a certain area of the market. Um, that's, that's a great way to do it too, if, if you don't want to own an individual stock. But um, I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. I just don't think the, the way people are executing it today, at least that are in the headlines, um, is a recipe for success. Well, two things. One, uh, you look like a Peloton guy. That, that I'm 0% surprised by that. Um, two, I think that's really great advice. I did a similar thing with, with DraftKings when they went public. Yep nine months ago or so and and sports gambling is uh taken on a tremendous tremendous boost in this country and i think it's going to continue um and the way i look at it is every time i i put money on something on DraftKings and lose i'm only helping their bottom line which is only helping the stock price so i really put myself in a win-win scenario there um which is which is how i justify a lot of bad decisions but um yeah i, I think that might be insider information i'm gonna go let me know next time you lose big on DraftKings. I'm going to go uh, front. Well, front now, I think south. now we got to get the SEC involved um, <laughs> if, if we go too far on this. It'll be probably tonight, just for for your information. <laughs> last last thing, uh, this is not a sports podcast, but it is a podcast that likes sports. I uh, believe mm-hmm. you, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, uh, have a trade offer you'd like to propose for Carson Wentz to send him to the Colts representation here between Donnie and myself. I want to give you that opportunity. Yeah. It's just a trade offer. It's just me begging you just please take them and oh. just take the contract. Just take, just, yeah. You know, we, you, you were nice enough to send us your uh, OC. Um, like half our coaching and, staff at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we appreciate that. And we just want to pr- provide you a little offering uh, in, in response. That's it. I'm not asking for anything else in return. Just, you're just going to pack up a backpack and, and yep. strap it on his back. Well, I'll and... pay for the shipping. I'll pay for the shipping out there. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard pass. <laughs> it's a hard pass, but I tell you what we will do, what we will send to Philly. Uh, we will send a nice expansion in 2022 to your home chapter of Alpha Tau at Drexel. Well, that's very exciting. And um, yeah, I, uh, we're excited to get back there. Um it's it's uh, it's something I've missed over the past couple of years, and I I'll tell you what I can't wait to take you guys out for cheesesteaks uh, when you're both there uh, celebrating that rechartering with me. It's gonna be a lot of fun rebuilding that group. It's gonna be a lot of fun being back on that campus, and for you and all of the successful alumni at Drexel to have a group to rally around. We're excited about it. Awesome. Do you like the roast pork better than the cheesesteak? I know a lot of people like the roast pork better. You know, it depends on the day. Uh, I okay. think first of all, your 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 first time through, you got to go cheesesteak. Well, you can't right. go roast yeah, pork. of course, I'm not an idiot. But then you mix it up. You know, if you're staying for a couple of days, or if you got a yeah. lunch okay. and a dinner, I then like you, that. Yeah, that's that's cool. You can mix it up. I like, but that. it's very no, good. Mean, yeah, good advice. I think you've you've really opened a lot of people's eyes in a lot of different avenues on this interview. So, might have Covered to just make you a recurring guest at this point. Happy to do it. All right, BK. Well, we appreciate the insight. We appreciate the information. Uh, Hopefully the listeners out there can go get rich at your behest and uh, we will all benefit accordingly. Thanks for having me. Stay safe, stay warm. See you guys soon.
Thanks, BK. Thanks, brother. And we just want to thank BK one more time. Hopefully he will be back with us soon. Uh, a wealth, pun intended, of information there. Don, any, uh, any particular nuggets that you pulled out from that discussion? You are a little more involved, let's say hands-on in training sure. than I am. So it was, it's a, it was educational for me and hopefully for all of those who are more in my ilk where you, you contribute to the 401k, you contribute to a few different aspects that go into the market, but you're not actually hands-on researching and making trades. Hopefully that was helpful to paint the picture of what has occurred and also provided a little bit of hope into what 2021 is going to look like. Well, and I mentioned it during the, the conversation with BK, but he's really the one who encouraged me to, to get started. And, and I'm, I mean, most 99.9% uh, .9 of investors, I think, would sneeze at the amount of money I, I have in the stock market. So certainly not, uh, not on a high level, but I, his overarching point of like, just take the money you have, if it's $100, if it's $500, and open up an account, whether it's Robinhood or Fidelity or E-Trade or, or whatever that is, and, and just trade a little bit, you know, find companies you like, right? You you want some stock in Amazon, go buy some Amazon. You want some stock in, in Apple or some other random company that no one's ever heard of, you know, do a little research and and get going. And, and you really do, my, my level of knowledge on the stock market today compared to where I was a year ago is is just light years difference because all, all I've done was I opened an account and I went in and, and started trading a little bit. So it's a really good learning experience. Um, you know, I think there's a completely different level of, of introduction to the stock market if your introduction has been investing in, in GameStop and in AMC, but it's good sound advice just for your future self, whether you're listening to this at 19, 26 or 50, to go in and, and see what you can come up with because it is, uh, I mean, the market over time, as, as I understand it, goes up. So if you have money in it over time, unless you're speculating, like BK said, you're going to make a little money, which who doesn't like making money? Well, the discipline it takes at a young age to contribute. Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. Um, it is, uh, it, it's, it's 15, 20 bucks a paycheck or it's, $50 a month or, or whatever, and just dropping it into a, an ETF, like BK mentioned, or, or something along those lines, um, certainly is is more valuable than just keeping that money in a, a savings account with your bank. The one piece that's important to me is the discipline when you're a young person just getting out of school, just graduating, to contribute something, even if it's small. That's something that was taught to me that I didn't do probably in my first year out of college, but then I did. And I'm very grateful now for making those small contributions. It's, it really is the power of compound interest, which is an amazing thing. And if you don't know the power of compound interest, Google it, research it, do a little bit of homework as you're walking to class, as you're, you know, sitting in the evening, you know, scrolling through Instagram or whatever it is just Google the power of compound interest because it really can play in your favor. And to your point, bring in a little bit of cash flow. 
Yeah, it's a good opportunity to bring up one of our new partnerships with T2, which is Your Money Vehicle with, with Jed Collins. Um, and, and we haven't mentioned that on the podcast yet, but Jed, uh, Jed Adaya, he's a former NFL player, um, played with the Saints for a while, played with a few other teams. He is now a certified financial planner. He's also a leadership coach. Um, and he is someone who came to us through through the fraternity. He's not a member of the fraternity, but um, we had some members who were were familiar with him. And, um, and we've often this program now to all of our members where you can go to uh, it's just teak.org slash your money vehicle you can sign up for free it's a $99 course that the cost is covered in your membership as a an undergrad or an alumnus it's one of the topics he talks about is compound interest and how important it is to save and and invest we're actually going to have um Jed on the podcast here coming up within the next month. Um, still need to lock him down for sure, but I know he's he's game to come on and talk about a little bit of that, a little bit of his experience as an NFL player. So we're looking forward to that. But but yeah, it's it, I think overall the the exposure people are getting to the stock market to investing through this whole phenomenon, however long it lasts, is going to be important. Um, it's going to be good for some, it's going to be bad for some, but I think the more people in society who are educated about how the economy works and, and how the, the market operates is better for America. But maybe I'm wrong. I, there's probably a lot of billionaires out there who would tell me otherwise. All right, shifting gears. It is Super Bowl week, and we we plugged it last week, and I thought we were going to lead with it, but then Game Wall stop. Street exploded, right? Game um, so we, uh, I'm looking forward to the game. I saw an interesting tweet over the weekend from Adam Schefter that any positive COVID test now, you will miss the Super Bowl. So hopefully we avoid that. I, Man, I cannot imagine this game being played without Tom Brady or, or Patrick Mahomes or one of the coaches, but uh, do you the think, world we live Al, in. Do you, think it's a, do you think it's an advantage or do you think it's a disadvantage that Tampa is at home? So, for instance, they are in their homes, which one could say that's an advantage because they've been in their homes for months and months and months. So to, to avoid COVID, probably a better chance versus, you know, the Chiefs who have to travel to Tampa and, and all that goes through that. Or because they're at home and they could have friends and family coming in town for the Super Bowl or neighbors coming up. You know what I mean? It's a very interesting debate. I I think it's an advantage because you can, you don't have to build a new routine. You, you can, you can stay in your same routine. Whereas the chiefs, although they had eight road games this year, so they know it's like to play a road game. Um, the Super Bowl travel schedule, when you get in, what you're doing is different. So I, I think I would rather be at home and just stay in that same mindset of this is a home game, right? I'm going to sleep at home for these nights, and then I'm going to go stay at the team hotel for one or two nights to get away. I also, uh, and back to the COVID point, you know, I, I would be shocked if these teams aren't creating their own bubbles for these next two weeks. Um, so that might look a little different, even being at home, you know, if I was in charge of one of those organizations, I, I would effectively isolate every single player on the team and, and make sure that no one has any possibility of contracting COVID. But yeah, I think, I think I, I would see it as an advantage. What about you? I agree. I, the, the other advantage, because you can use your own practice facility, right? That's the other piece. 
whenever you travel to the Super Bowl site, typically they allow them to use practice facilities and all those types of things during the week. Now, I understand it's going to be different this year. Kansas City is probably going to fly in a day or two before like they would a typical road game. So, yeah. but even saying that it's nice for can for for tampa that they get to wake up in their own beds go to their own facility use their own practice fields right all of those things that, that they get to take advantage of and to your point stay in rhythm all that said i'm sure we're gonna get a pick so i'm not so sure it's gonna make a huge difference in the actual playing of the game yeah so uh, before before we get to picks you know i i want to i want to talk storylines because i think this is a really really interesting legacy game for the quarterbacks and the coaches. So you're looking at Brady versus Mahomes, right? Tom Brady uh, discussion for a different day. I still personally believe that Peyton Manning is the greatest football player to ever exist. Just watching him play football. I don't think there's ever been anyone on his level. Although I think Mahomes could take that mantle away from him, but I'm firmly in the Manning camp Manning versus Brady. I understand the arguments for Tom Brady and I don't have real strong arguments against him. But you have a guy who's the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time versus the guy who a lot of people think could become the greatest of all time. And a lot of people are saying, right, if Brady beats Mahomes in this Super Bowl, that it's going to be really hard for Mahomes 15 years from now even to eclipse Tom Brady in this race to be the greatest football player ever. So there, there's that. And then you also have Andy Reid, who for the longest time couldn't win the big one. Now he's looking at possibly back-to-back Super Bowls. You have Bruce Arians, who's been around forever and has proven himself as a head coach time and time again. Now he's got a chance to get one. And I mean, Bruce Arians, he might be a Hall of Fame coach if he wins this Super Bowl, given all the stops he's made and all the work and, and effort he's put in. Um, what, so I, what is your, what's the storyline that you're most focused on going into this game? I think it has to start with the quarterbacks because if somehow Brady was able to, to win this game, right. This is to me, the ultimate, if you take down Mahomes, which means you're obviously going to set him back in terms of his, if he has this goal to, to reach the six rings that Brady has or surpass it some, somehow by the time he reaches a, a later age. You're gonna you're gonna widen that gap. Obviously, seven to one is a much different gap than six to two. So to me, that's the real storyline. And then if 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 the Chiefs win, Al, you're looking at back to back, right? Super Bowls. And what stops them from putting another three in the next five or four in the next six, right? I know many times with these dynasties, we say that, and then as time moves forward, things happen that we never expect, and new 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 teams come along, new powers come along, but it's hard to see with the, the tools that they have with Kelsey at tight end. I mean, their defense has just gotten mildly better. It's not like their defense is dominant. So if you imagine if you're, if you're in the draft room for Kansas city and you continue to draft defensive players and hit on one or two of them, what, what that team could become. So it's very interesting to me if Kansas city wins. And obviously we always have the Colts slant here. All the AFC teams have a lot of work to do and how you can try to catch up to this superpower. Yeah, and, and one other legacy I should have mentioned that is uh, kind of secondhand, uh, possibly going to take a hit, is, is Bill Belichick, right? The debate forever was Belichick or Brady, who's responsible for New England success. Cam Newton didn't get the job done in New England this year, and, and you got Tom Brady, who could go and win a Super Bowl in his first year without Belichick. If Bill Belichick never, and who knows how much longer he's going to coach, if he never gets back to the Super Bowl, if he can't take a, a – 
go get a, a quarterback this offseason and and become a contender in the AFC and you get Brady go out and, and even if he just gets one ring with Tampa, I think you could now Bill Belichick's one of the greatest head football coaches of all time, undisputably, but when it comes to that argument, even it could I, I think the tide could shift toward Brady depending on what happens in this game. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, especially you know, if you make a comparison, and it's not a straight comparison, but Phil Jackson in the NBA yep. had the same kind of piece where he could only win with Jordan. Well, then he went to the Lakers, and obviously he had Kobe and Shaq, but he won a number of titles with the Lakers as well. Yeah, and, and how many titles did MJ win with the Wizards? Well, there you go. Now we know the answer to that question. And now and and you know, maybe maybe once we get into NBA final season, we can have the conversation about why LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever live, but we'll save it. I will say between your Brady take and your LeBron take, we are we are going to have some fun conversations when we get to the NBA. We'll save it. All right, a uh, couple uh, some. I always like to look at the prop bets. You know, you know me. I uh, already talked about the sports gambling angle. Um, prop bets that are out there right now. Coin toss obviously is is always always there to bet on. Uh, only two options for those unfamiliar with coin tosses. So, uh, Don. Coin toss, heads or tails, where's it going? Tails never fails. That's right. I'm a tails guy myself. Every time someone calls heads, I, I just, you know, I shake my head and wonder what the heck they were thinking. All right, national anthem. So the over-under on the national anthem length is set right at two minutes. I have some opposing thoughts on this one, and I know it is uh, it is Eric Church as well as... Jas- no, Jasmine but- Sullivan are, are okay. singing the national anthem. Two minutes, so two minutes over under. Duet. If you have a duet, it's over. You, you think it's over? <sighs> Man. Eric Church is uh, the work that I'm familiar with. He, he does sing a little slower. He's a little smooth, slower guy. The only thing that I'm a little concerned about with the over is there's not the big full-size crowd. So you don't have the big crowd to play to, right? You drawing the stuff out and, and I... For the sake, uh, for the sake of yeah, argument, but I'll, a I'll performer, a performer, it doesn't matter the size of the crowd, right? They're always ready to put on a show, and they know there's millions upon millions of eyeballs watching. It's a great point. I'll take the under. I'll take under two minutes on the national anthem. All right, the weekend halftime show. What song will he open with? You would think it would be "Blinding Lights." You really would. Mm-hmm. But but typically, if you think about past halftime shows, they save that for the second, yep. third song because yep. they want to get you in a little bit. So I'm guessing it won't be Blinding Lights. I'm going to go Can't Feel My Face. I think he's going to, you know, that the beginning of that, the way that that it hits. Um, what a great I think, song. I guess I think your we're going to open with your bones moving with can't feel my face it's gonna be it's gonna be an electric halftime show um and then lastly the super bowl most valuable player who's it gonna be mahomes i think you're right for the sake of argument here's i would say this is what i love you you actually just want to find some argument no you, not, not necessarily uh, but, uh, i don't want to i want to be a we're both we're both on the tails train um I'll, I'll go Travis Kelsey. I think if Travis Kelsey has a huge, if he has like a 10 for 150 and two touchdowns game, you could see it, it in Mahomes. I don't want to say only, it's like but one of your, that's like has, one of your, that's like one of your prop bets where three random receivers all catch a touchdown in the same game. Yeah. It, yeah. If Kelsey catches 10 touchdowns, for, I've been known to, 10, to hit 10 receptions for two so. touchdowns. 
No, I, I think uh, I, th- I think it's going to be Mahomes. I will say Travis Kelsey because we like to we like to diversify. Back to the back to the stock conversation. Let's diversify here. Um, okay, good deal. And then the last question on the Super Bowl: Who's going to win? Chiefs. Not so sure it's going to be close. I agree with you. I when they turned it on against Buffalo, you were you were just watching and thinking like, oh. Oh yeah, this is a really, really good football team, and I mean Tampa. I go, I go back to this. I, I said this going into to the championship games where Buffalo could have easily lost to the Colts, probably should have, could have easily lost to the Ravens. They didn't look particularly good, and then they go and get run by the Chiefs. Tampa really could have slash should have lost to the Packers. They didn't look great against the Saints. That game was sloppy, disgusting. Really, their game against the Washington football team was pretty sloppy and disgusting. So, yes, they're in the Super Bowl. I don't think they're playing their best football right now. I think the Chiefs are. I'm going to go Chiefs 30-33, Tampa 20. 33-20 Chiefs. I'm going to go 30, let's see, 37-24 Chiefs. All right. Zach's going to be so disappointed. He'll get over it. All right. Well, any other, any other current events we're touching on? We spent a lot of time in the stock market on the Super Bowl. Anything else we need to, we need to mention for our listening audience? Well, we talked about recruitment. Got to continue our work preparing for our Super Bowl, which is recruitment. That's going to be happening on a number of campuses in the next six weeks. And it really is the oxygen that moves the organization forward and the way that we continue to expand this family. So focusing on recruitment, focusing on the fired up training, you can go to teak.org slash fired up, P-H-I-R-E-D-U-P, and get that free training to be more prepared to go out there and recruit. Yeah, I am very confident in the work that our staff and our members have put into preparing for recruitment. It is now time to go execute on those plans and to see the fruits of your labor. So uh, whether you're a volunteer, whether you're a member, whether you are an, an alumnus who's not intricately involved with a chapter, I, I think everyone's got a role to play in the next month to month and a half when it comes to going out, spreading the good word about the fraternity, showcasing the brand of Teak. You know, we talk about that all the time. How can we better brand the fraternity and brand our chapters so that people immediately have a positive response when they think about Teak or when they think about the Beta Sigma chapter of Talk Cap Epsilon or the Xi Omega chapter of Talk Cap Epsilon. And we all play a role in that just with the way we live our lives. And so I, I am, I'm, I'm excited. Like you said, we've put a lot of work and a lot of effort in and now it's time to go run and, and see what we can do to boost those numbers and go bring new men into the fraternity. So yeah, absolutely. And, and looking forward to talking to Zach here in a few minutes about that as well. Shifting forward now to our rule of three, uh, we're going to go back to the Super Bowl theme. And, and for those new to the program, the rule of three, of course, is that if you are a member of this fraternity, you have to do everything in increments of three because the first three chapters were in the shape of a triangle. And, and that really locked us into this whole triangle and, and three thing for all of eternity. So um, the rule of three every single week, Donnie and I will discuss our top three something and uh, this week, the question is, 
what are your top three favorite Super Bowl party foods? If you're going to a Super Bowl party, what are you hoping is on the menu? Chips and guac. Okay. Chicken wings. Okay. Chocolate chip cookies. All right. That little appetizer, main course dessert there. That's uh, it's a good way to look at it. I'm going to go uh, – not along the, uh, the I'm, I'm just going to lay three main courses on you. Uh, number one is pizza. Uh, I just love pizza. It's, it's good timing because we're going to talk to, to Jason Galia a little later, who uh, owns a chain of, of pizza restaurants in Michigan. We're going to talk to him about all things pizza and some other stuff. Pizza's number one. Uh, number two is chili. It's the season for chili. It is a great community food, although in the age of COVID, Maybe not the best idea, but the thing I love about chili is the, the customization options, right? You can just throw a bowl of it together, throw cheese on it, sour cream, onions. I like Fritos in my chili instead of, uh, instead of the traditional crackers or saltines or oyster crackers, um, jalapenos, raw onion. I, you can doll chili up to really make it your own, and, and I'm all about it. Um, and then I'm going to agree with you on number three uh, with the chicken wings, uh, big wing guy. So uh, always got to have those on the menu. It's good finger food too. You can sit, you know, sit on a couch and eat them as opposed, well, you can do that with chili. It's just a little messier. So not, so, not an experience everyone gets, but I know you have had, can you just very briefly talk about going to Buffalo and having Buffalo wings when you visited our chapter at Buffalo? Yeah, so I went to I went to Duff's. This was some years ago. Um, went to Duff's in Buffalo, got the authentic Buffalo wing experience, and I have not had a better chicken wing in my life than than what I had in Buffalo. So, if you're a wing guy, it's bucket list. You got to go with the blue cheese, even if you're a ranch, even if you're a ranch person. I'm a ranch guy. Put ranch on everything. Got to go with the blue cheese. They make it in house. Um, just something about the way that the wing gets crispy and, you know, they, they get it crispy. The, the sauce is perfect. I, I don't know what they do to, I wish I could replicate it. I would, I would make them every day, but, uh, Buffalo, true Buffalo wings are an experience unlike any other. Now, you know, rule of threes done. You know what that means? It is time to bring in our good friend and uh, recurring guest on this program, Frater Zach Scott. <laughs> wow! I don't even I don't even care where he is. I'm interested. Look at it. Check it out. Look at the little cows over here. That is legit. Look at this guy's looking right at it. Man. <laughs> Yes. I gotta tell you, we can't see his eyeballs here through the podcast. Oh man, he's looking right at me. He's curious. He wants to be on the podcast. I might have to jump over this little fence here and go go interview him. I probably wouldn't. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's cow. It'll be all right. But all right, we're we're gonna do a formal introduction here, uh, even though we we seem to get right into it. Welcome, Zach. For your third now uh, Teak Nation podcast appearance, you have moved from your normal spot. Uh, I'm assuming you're still in Tampa, but uh, please answer the question for us. Where in the world is Zach Scott today? Yeah, I'm actually uh, down the road from from my house um, in this old little holler. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> they, they removed the, uh, the actual nameplate of it. 
but uh, a spot that's been around since I grew up um, over here. Lots of cows around, some uh, beautiful greenery. It's it's nice. It's a uh, it's a good little spot. Zach, how would you define the word holler? Because that that definitely stuck out there in your intro. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm I'm sure Buckwheat Perry probably would have a, a direct answer. Maybe. Oh, okay. So this is like a buckwheat thing that you just made it up, and it doesn't really. Well, no, it's an actual word. Um, it oh, is an actual yeah. word, but I don't know the exact specific definition. You know, maybe let me give me a chance, and I'll go find it. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, get, we'll do that. Oh, he's uh, he's 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 googling it as we speak. Um, so uh, I think the the name of the holler is probably just some old guy's last name who lives in there. So like it's Martin's Holler. Um, it's not JB Holler, right? Zach, what uh, what are you doing? I uh, I found the definition here, and okay, go it ahead. says holler is the regional dialect pronunciation of hollow, referring to a broad natural hollow as of one of a creek has carved into maybe a small valley. Um, I don't really know what that has to do with Florida, considering there are um, there's no creeks around here, or uh, I mean maybe it's a small valley, I guess. So eh, you learned something new, something something to be learned here on the podcast. Well, and when it comes to dialects, you know, in Indiana at least, there's there's people like. Al and I who say Creek. And then there's also people who say Crick. Crick. Uh, yeah. There's just no doubt. That's a, that's yeah. a realization. That's Maybe in Kentucky, they call them, uh, call them hollers. We don't, we well, don't want to lose all of our listeners in Kentucky, but they say a lot of things in a very interesting fashion. <laughs> Maybe that's well, the next place I need to go uh, to. I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to hold off. I'm going to hold off. I, I don't want, I don't want to in, insult our brethren to the South here. Um, Okay, Zach, uh, you you are uh, you're still in the Tampa area. I'm curious though. At, we talked a little bit earlier about recruitment, and and it's time to go execute on the work that our chapters have put into preparing. Uh, curious from you, you know, which groups in Teak Nation are you really looking forward to? either working with or that you've already worked with that you're really looking forward to seeing how they can recruit this spring and, and, you know, see the fruits of their labor, the work they put in. Yeah, actually um, there, there are a couple of groups that, that come to mind that I've already worked with actually not sure when this podcast will go out, but last night I had the pleasure of interviewing um, a frauder from Cal State Long Beach, a frauder from University of Houston, and a frauder from George Washington University. And we talked about the Fired Up certification course a little bit, but we also talked about recruitment and expectations and what we're excited to see, right? The whole reason they were brought in is because they've either grown up in the entire virtual recruitment process, two of them were, were freshman members, and seeing, I guess, what they've experienced and how excited they are to continue to, to give that to other members um, and potential new members is, is awesome. So Long Beach, they've already grown exponentially, um, trying to, I think, get into the 30 realm after being in the under 10 for the last year or so. Um, I think maybe 12 or so at the end of last, last year. And I think some of these groups that had really strong fall semesters, Auburn comes to mind, um, LSUs, these schools, seeing those those campuses and if they'll push themselves how they'll push themselves to recruit maybe more than you would see on an average average spring semester um, and really capitalize on on that potential growth there that's just ripe for the taking yeah i love it uh i think you're spot on with those groups that that performed at a high level in the fall and the potential that's still out there so uh it's good to hear zach is being joined literally by a cow um this might have to go up on video there's there's a cow walking over to Zach to say hello on his walk. He does seem interested. He, he's gonna Jeff's pet him. Moving. 
Zach is now petting the, for all of those listening, Zach is now petting the cow. It's making for a great audio auditory experience. All right, Zach. Well, we uh, we'll let you get back to your walk. Go find some carrots or something to to befriend these cows along the way. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on, and I wish you the best of luck getting home, my friend. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Zach. Adios. Well, that was something else. That was uh, unlike any experience that we've had to date here on the Teak Nation podcast. So uh, if you're listening out there, uh, maybe we'll we'll find like an underground way to just bury this video and you can go search for it and see just the whole Zach experience we just had. Maybe maybe next week's podcast, we should do it live from a from a farm here in Indiana. I got there's some horse farms not too far from me. Um, the problem is I think it's going to be about 11 degrees. So not pleasant, not pleasant. Maybe, maybe we'll head down to West Palm and visit with BK and see what, uh, see, see what kind of farms he's got going on down there. Uh, we are going to keep it coming with the guests here. Already talked to Brian, already talked to Zach. Our next guest today is a good friend of both Donnie and I's. It is Frauder Jason Galia. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Now to a dear, dear friend of mine, a dear, dear friend of Donnie's, and a dear, dear friend of the fraternities, Frauder Jason Galia. Jason, how is life treating you, my friend? Uh, life is treating me well. Highly favored is uh, the term I like to say these days. Is highly favored. I'm glad many, that you... many challenges in my industry, many challenges uh, around, but uh, still highly favored. I'm glad you didn't say live in the dream because we went pretty hard mm. at living the dream on the last episode of the podcast and I didn't prep you. So that could have gotten real awkward. Was that Brian Ricard by chance? Well, no, he wasn't on the podcast. We know that that Brian Ricard enjoys that phrase, but it was more just a commentary on the state of the <laughs> boilerplate response to how's it going. And I, and I said, just please stop saying live in the dream. Just let's pick a new phrase for 2021. Highly favored. Highly favored. I like that a lot. Makes you think a little bit. All right, Jason, uh, as we get started here, I want to I wanna set the tone and, and we brought you in and uh, we want to discuss with you what it's been like to work in the restaurant industry through COVID. It's maybe the industry that's been hit the hardest. And I know just talking to you a little bit before this, you have face some challenges, you face some adversity, but if you could just set the table for us, um, first of all, you know, what aspect of the restaurant industry are you in? How many restaurants do you play a role in? And then, you know, what is, if you could boil down the last nine months into what it's been like for you and your staff and trying to manage all the challenges here, you know, what what one or two principles have you stuck by have gotten you through this adversity and allowed you to at least maintain some success? Absolutely. So uh, I am owner operator. Uh, we have eight locations in the state of Michigan called G's Pizzeria. Um, it's been in our family since 1983. My father started it and I was raised in, uh, in the business. Uh, 
took some time away from the business to go to college, went to uh, serve my fraternity for three years, and then really came back uh, to help the family grow to the next chapter in which we're living in right now. Um, the past nine months in the restaurant industry, it's hard to categorize and hard to um, put a title to it, but you know, it's here in Michigan, uh, specifically, um, our state amongst uh, California and New York have been treacherous for restaurants throughout our states. Um, our governor has uh, made it a point to uh, continue to keep restaurants closed, put restrictions upon us um, that we're still living into today. Uh, you know, throughout the country, many states, you know, there were minimal restrictions, there were no restrictions in some, um, but for us, it was uh, some very trying times some challenges that, you know, we had to face, continue to face and will face moving forward. You know, when I talk to my management team and my leadership teams, it's, it's all about how can we continue to hit curveballs every single day, every single week, there's something else thrown at our team, a new order that we have to follow, a new restriction that we have to comply to, something else we have to ask our guests to do. Um, so we're doing our best to see those curveballs coming, realign ourselves and, uh, and do the best that we can to succeed for not only our business, but our, also for our customer, right? Uh, we're in the customer satisfaction industry and the perception within the state and our country, it's so polarized. You know, you have to um, be true to your values and who you are, but still understand that others have different perspectives walking in your door and that, you know, our job here is just simply to provide the greatest service, the best customer experience we can for all. And, uh, you know, in these polarizing political times, you know, people take everything to a different state, a different extent. And, uh, you know, I think we're doing the best that we can to be true to our family values, our core values, and providing that service to them and uh, just welcoming all. So it's like I said, it's been a year of hitting curveballs. Um, and you talked about like some of the defining principles that have allowed us to continue to be successful. And the, the year end review that we just had with our leadership teams it simply was the discovery that we're a group that will never give up. We're a group that will find a way. We will press and push and punch until we find success. And I'm so thankful for the team that we've built and um, currently have. And around us in our industry and market, so many of our competitors, so many of our, our friends and neighbors that are restaurateurs and you know, in this industry, they simply gave up. It was, it was too hard, too trying. There was too many moving parts and it was coming at them too fast to where they just shut the doors or they were just doing a subpar job at that leading to zero success for them, which gave us a fantastic opportunity to gain market share because we were willing, we were wanting um, our customers depend on us and uh, we were there to provide for them. So we did everything in our power to provide that service to them, to keep our doors open as long as possible. You know, really up our takeout business when that had to, when we had uh, limitations into our dining room, uh, which we currently live in right now. Uh, we just opened for the first time in uh, two and a half months, almost three months. Today is our first day uh, with the dining rooms back open. Um, we just, we simply did everything we could to provide for them in these trying times and uh, led to our success. So as in every industry, the fraternity, Everyone that's going through the pandemic, you know, it's all about adjustments and corrections and finding a way. And that's what we did.
Yeah, Jason, what would be your message for those who think about the restaurant business and especially what you just touched upon? There's a lot of groups that we're seeing in the fraternity and you being a veteran three years working on the professional staff and being the, the director of Region 3 at one point, which is the Midwest for any of our listeners who don't know, these groups that are in the same position, especially going into spring here, this is a thing, things have changed. Some universities are coming back on campus. A number of universities, they deferred recruitment to the spring, even if they were typically a fall campus. Can you talk about, you touched on the mindset, but what were specific things that you did to make sure that those, those folks continued to stay inspired? that the employees and that family that you've built, they continue to stay focused on what their goal is. Because for those listening to this podcast, whether they're a collegiate member or a volunteer, it, this is really the next six weeks is, is huge for the fraternity and, and our recruitment efforts and ensuring the fraternity has the oxygen, which is, which is membership, as you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing is when we're, we're find ourselves in a moment of contraction, right? Regardless of what industry you're in, the economy, this is a state of contraction. The only way to get through those kinds of contractions, I think, is creativity, right? To be open to the mindset that there has to be something done differently than it has been in the past. And those that are going to be stuck in their ways and say, hey, that's just how we've done it. This is how we do it. You're not going to be able to adapt fast enough. And that has been, um, you know, a reigning theme within our industry or within my businesses, I should say, for the past six months is adapt or die. And those that can adapt the fastest to this changing environment are the ones that are going to be able to thrive the fastest. So to simply adhere to that theory of adapt or die or those that adapt fastest will thrive, um, you know, that has to be the mantra going into these things. And for, for me, luckily, I have a group of leaders in my team that want to be successful they're okay with a change. They're okay with a pivot and creating new opportunities for us to succeed. You know, it's not all just coming for me by any means, you know, that team, we simply will brainstorm and spur ideas and, uh, you know, throw something off each other until we find something. Sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. And we're willing to do those failures and to have those failures in order to find as many successes as we can. So the message to those people that are in these times of contraction and challenges is start thinking about it differently because it's the only way you're going to win. It's the only way that you're going to be able to improve your organization and your, your chapter to, to get to a point to, to dominate, to take over market share. This is, this is an opportunity, right? You know, they talk a lot about um, in the financial world when the economy's in a depression, that's when the millionaires and billionaires just start adding to their bankroll. This is the same mindset that you can take within your organization, your business. Market share is out there for the taking. It's up to those who want to go and get it. And that's, I, I've known there's been opportunity. And Donnie, you and I spoke about this, or I sent you an email on this um, once pandemic really hit. And I was just thinking about the fraternity and just, you know, I knew challenging times were upon us, but I sent you a message just saying, man, this is the time. This is the time to take T to the next level and take market share. So it's all about that mentality and it'll, it'll drive you into action to move in it. Did you have any employees that didn't buy into this mentality that are no longer with you after this past year that you had to leave on the side of the road, so to speak, and keep moving forward? Yeah. So the restaurant industry, we're infamous for huge turnover rates. I mean, you know, it's one of the biggest um, challenges that restaurants face somehow <laughs> by uh, being highly favored. Our turnover rate is 
fantastic. We retain 93% of our employees for three years or more, which is absolutely unheard of in our industry. And what we've come to find out is if we can bring a person on and they stay with us for three weeks, they'll most likely be with us three months or three years. I mean, if they get to that three week point, it's a quick separation. If we have to, we just simply drive it into them that, Hey, this is the expectation. And we also check in with them. Hey, is this the right fit for you? Because I want that person to be here. If they're unhappy walking in the door, the customer experience is going to be poor. And that's just not our goal. Our goal is always to provide that great customer experience. So with that high uh, retention rate, we have a lot of like-minded folks. We have a lot of people that want to strive to continue to provide a great customer experience, to be successful. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that we had anyone walking out of the door simply because of the, the practices that we were taking or the, you know, the approaches we were taking. We had some people that moved on from us um, one out of fear of COVID, just simply, hey, I'm not going to be in a restaurant industry to where there's going to be a lot of contact points. Um, so we lost minimal there. And then the big thing for us um, in losing people was simply the time periods um, in the closures and the uh, workforce that we needed to operate our business. You know, we, we put 40% of our staff on, you know, hiatus for months at a time. You know, they simply can't be on unemployment for so long. But for those people that simply weren't working, we continued to communicate. Weekly communications, daily communication. Um, you know, we have a number of different outlets that we're continuing keeping contact with them and making sure that they're um, in the fold with us, trying to keep them inspired to, hey, we are coming back. We're doing all that we can. And, you know, that, that helped us out greatly. We had very minimal, um, you know, people leaving us throughout this time period, which uh, super thankful for. And like I said, highly, highly favored. Jason, you talked a little bit during the first question about, you know, you, you found out that you and your staff, you just weren't going to quit. You weren't going to give in. I'm curious, take yourself back to March of 2020 when COVID sets in, businesses are getting closed, you know, the, the state's essentially telling you, you, you can't operate, at least not in the fashion you normally would. Did you have a moment there where you woke up one morning and you were like, holy crap, like, if I don't figure this out, I'm, I'm not going to have income. I'm not going to be able to, to live my life the way I want to. And if you did, what did you learn about yourself in that moment? And, and how did that, you know, what was your mindset to come to kind of snap yourself out of that thought and then move forward and, and press on? Absolutely. So that fear moment when it sets in right. and taking back to March, 2020, you know, when, when we first heard that the restaurants were closing, we, we didn't expect it to be what it was. We all thought, hey, give it a week, give it two, you know, we can withstand this. And then at some point within the next, you know, three weeks, it was the oh crap moment. Fear finally came through. And, you know, it, it just simply said, hey, you need to adapt your diet. And that, that just took over me and the narrative that I was given to my staff that we will succeed through this period. I just simply saw this as opportunity. I knew challenges were about us, but you know, within the, the markets that we sit, not to toot our own horn, but to just be thankful for what we achieved. We were the restaurant, we were the business that had maybe some of the most success um, in this pressured and contraction um, that we were going through. We were first to adapt and there were mo there's there's so many moments to go through you know in the past year that 
you know, I just, I simply forget that, um, you know, we were closed down and then we were given some special um, order because there were floods in Michigan that our, one of our counties were able to open up and they notified us at 1130 in the evening. We were ready to open our doors the next day at 10 a.m. to where we had restaurants from across the county calling us, how are you open? Are you guys going against orders, blah, 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 all this? Like, no, this came out. Our staff was ready. The, you know, the business was um, operating and ready to take on customers. And we received so much praise for that. And people followed in our steps to see what we were doing from that point and continue to do so moving forward. So that fear did set in like, man, this is, this is dark times, but it was simply just overcome by we're going to be successful. We're going to succeed through this and we're going to become a better organization on the outside of this without question. You can answer this pre COVID or during COVID. What's the hardest aspect of owning a business? People without question. People are as beyond the, the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity that we have within our business, right? We're dealing with a, a large staff. You know, most of our restaurants, we carry about 50 staff um, per location. And our average seating within our locations is about 250 people. So our operation is quite large. And to navigate and to find, the, find that high road to satisfy all guests, all customers, all staff, um, it's, it takes interpersonal and takes that connection with each individual person to be successful. So it takes time, it takes energy, it, it takes thought, you know, being very purposeful on every kind of messaging, how things are put together. You know, people are the challenge, but people are the opportunity as well. Nothing is going to happen without, you know, an outstanding staff and, you know, providing a customer service. So that is the challenge, but also the opportunity that we have. And how much of this, the skills that you talk about, how many of those did you learn either being a collegiate member there at Saginaw Valley in Michigan or being on the professional staff and traveling the, the fraternity in the country, including Canada for three years and, and interacting with a number of different constituents. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think the unique opportunity that Teak and being in a fraternity provides collegiates is that opportunity to um, be within people of all different kinds, but more importantly, the challenges that that brings to you. If you go to college, and simply are there for your academics, you go to class, everything's very stagnant. It's very set for you. You know that class is here, this paper is due this time. There's really no challenges. Sure, you might have a difficult paper to write or a test coming up, but when I talk about a challenge, I'm talking about a curveball, something unexpected that is just simply thrown at you. And that's what we see in business all the time and with people. The fraternity provides that opportunity for us. If you're in the fraternity, you're operating that as a small business, you are putting on events, you're dealing with people, you have, you know, um, accounts receivable payable that you're going on, you get opportunity to try new things, which presents new challenges. And the, the biggest benefits that I learned out of our fraternity, I think do come from that, that I can control this little circle that I'm in, I can, I can take a leadership role in this and direct it the way in which my values and the way that I think is most successful for my group, myself, and those, you know, our key stakeholders and around us. And once you can grab ownership, like you would if you owned a business, right? 
and, and start to understand that you can direct that, that's, that's such a powerful moment as a collegiate to take on. And that is transfers directly into, you know, owning your own business, being an entrepreneur, that you're in control of this world and whatever you do will be the outcome that will be given to you. If you're lackluster, if you don't care about others, you don't make right decisions, it will, you know, be pie in your face. If you are diligent, purposeful, you know, always being that servant leader and putting others before you, trying to build up a team around you, it's, it's only going to be leading to your success. So that, that is definitely one of the biggest, um, you know, opportunities and you know benefits that I received as a collegiate member for sure. One of the things that always fascinates me when you talk about the business and talk about your your restaurants is on top of all the things you just talked about, the challenges of of owning a business and the mindset you have to be in, you are in a family business. And I know that you've dealt with very specific challenges <laughs> because uh because of the fact that you work, and it's not just family, right? People go into business with their close friends, with their in-laws, they come up with a great idea with their buddy and, and they're torn apart. And I know you've had different levels of, of some of that, but what, you know, what challenges has that presented on top of everything you've talked about? And how have you had to work through those uniquely specific crossroads you know, knowing that regardless of what happens with the business, you're still spending Christmas, you're still spending Thanksgiving, I guess, most of the time, unless it's gotten bad enough. Um, but you're still you're still in with <laughs> these people that you work with, because they're your family. Uh, being in business is hard. Being in a family business is insane. <laughs> it's impossible sometimes. But there's there's also unique opportunities that are presented within family businesses. The challenges that come in a normal everyday business, they're huge. And then to add the multiplier effect that, hey, that's my dad that I have to go against, or that's my brother or my uncle or cousin or whoever that may be um, in, a, in a family business, there's unique challenges to that because you do wanna actually see him at Christmas and not have them uh, you know, spit in your, your plate of food at Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, you know, I, I learned that lesson um, that, you know, you need to be very purposeful on who you want to do business with and who you want to be in business with. I'm, I'm super thankful and, and blessed that, you know, the core family members that are around myself, um, you know, my two brothers and my dad, you know, that's kind of my core group, very like-minded, all high achievers, want to take things to the next level, not scared to change for the better. Um, but also a good sounding board um, for me and them for um, I am for them, which we're, we're, we've been a fantastic team. And uh, I'm very, very blessed that, you know, my dad raised my brothers and I, and, you know, just simply instilled the, the values that he did into me. But I also have family members um, in this business that, you know, aren't my direct brother or anything like that, that are uncles that have very different mindsets on, you know, customer experience. And for me, um, after my three-year stint with, you know, the professional staff coming back to the family business, you know, I was the young kid on the block and they've been in the, the restaurant business for 30 years. And who's this kid? He doesn't know, you know, anything. We've, we've done our time and, um, you know, he's just trying to do whatever he's trying to do. And I was, I came into the family business ready to push, ready to punch and ready to take it to the next level because I like to make the reference, we were working as kind of a mom and pop shop and we've really established our brand 
and uh, um, taken this this family business to a whole nother level of operation and experience for our customers and our staff. And it took a ton of work to do that. It took a lot of headaches and long conversations, you know, a meeting after the meeting after the meeting kind of thing, just to reiterate and re-explain and to let them know that, you know, I'm here for the best interests of this organization. And, uh, you know, I think it's finally started to click after about three years of being in the family business that they could start trusting me because, you know, I, d- I didn't do everything perfect, but I was hitting at a high batting rate. You know, the average was pretty good. So it, it just takes time. Um, and to that family business aspect, yeah, it's a whole nother, whole nother element to deal with, but it also comes with so many opportunities uh, with it as well. So I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Talk about creativity, Jason. You take over a family business. Obviously, there's a, a lot of uh, tradition, heritage pieces that have been built in. And sounds like you no doubt had to at least question some of those traditions. Possibly, I might have lost you, buddy. Come. I can't hear what you're saying. Did you it's pay your spotty. internet? No, that's the problem. COVID's been tough, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you a little bit better now. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about creativity. No doubt in a traditional family business there had to be things as you just mentioned when you came in and started to take over the business and want to take it to the next level things that you had to knock down barriers you had to move around or go through or go across what are how did you tap into that creativity was it something you had to work on and build a muscle toward was it something that you have a natural ability for to say that i've got a natural ability for for that i I guess I would push back on that. I think that came through many years of failures, many years of success, and just simply not being scared. Um, and that goes back to the conversation about, you know, in a collegiate chapter, and once you can take ownership of that, that group and your environment, you know, you, you can't be scared to fail, um, but you also have to be so damn hungry to succeed. You know, one of those two are gonna be your driving points. Um, or you can use both, however, you know, your perspective on it is. Um, but once I got over that, that fear of failure, when I could say, you know what, I think it's going to work, but if it doesn't, what's the worst that's going to happen? We just, you know, pivot, we try something else. Um, you know, I think that's where a lot of creativity for me, at least, um, stems from. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a natural creative person by any means. Um, I'm just someone that is never going to quit. I think that's that's where it really comes into play. I will try this. If that doesn't work, I'll try this. And just just to continually to always be investing into yourself and into researching the projects that you're working on, the the results you're trying to get. I think creativity will be bred from that because as long as you're immersed, as long as you're obsessed with it, things are going to start happening. You're going to continue to to better your chances as you uh, are throwing those pitches out to people. Yeah, where, where focus goes, energy flows, right? And yep. the, the thought process that I, I wanted to get those listening, many people believe those who are creative, they were just born that way. And it just, it just naturally, they're just a creative person and they just walk around and ideas just pop out of their head. But that takes, that takes activity and a focus. And as you're continually being immersed in something, right? Light bulbs start to go off versus you just walk in a room and right, you, you showed up and at your family's business and all of a sudden these ideas went off and things just started moving. Can you talk at all about tactics? What are two or three tactics that you put in place? Because I know when we talk about mindset and Al and I, a lot of the conversations we have, it hammers back to that mindset, which is absolutely critical. 
but there are definitely folks that, you know, what's a tactic? What are two or three things that you did to shift your business from where it was for decades into, into the future and into the present? Yep. So the, the biggest, the biggest thing that we had to adjust and shift was to become unified. Um, prior to, you know, my being in the organization, it was, it was a group at that time of uh, six locations that all had the same name and some similarities within. And that was about it. And, you know, the tactic to, to brand ourselves and to really say that the customer experience has to be first and how can we start making adjustments to ensure that that customer experience um, is always at the forefront of everything that we're doing, um, you know, was the biggest tactic in the change within branding and bringing that core value and that value of, you know, this is who we are. And not to say that it wasn't there before, um, but to, you know, to be able to announce it and be able to promote it, that this is why we're here. And for our communities and our guests to, you know, embrace that and to understand like, yeah, these guys are doing everything that they can for us. You know, we're, we're community leaders in so many different ways other than just, you know, play, you know grab a pizza and a beer kind of thing. Um, you know, we strive to, you know, host uh, philanthropic events. You know, we've closed our restaurants down a um, number of times just to, you know, we've done things with Special Olympics. Um, we do holiday dinners for free for our entire communities, you know, just to simply allow our values to continue to, to bleed out um, into this organization. So as far as a tactic, I think it's grit to, to get all that together. Like I said, the, the family dynamic, it was, it was a battle, an uphill battle to get them to understand what a brand was first off. And this is something that a lot of these things I picked up on my time at the professional staff, right? We, we worked at a very high level. I think we, we strive for greatness in absolutely every aspect and everything that we could touch. If we could control that environment and make it better, we were damn sure going to do it. And when I came back to the family business, I wanted to translate the success and the high functioning, um, uh, members and team members that we had. And I wanted to translate that into my family business because I knew the success we were having in the fraternity. And I knew those were the foundations to building an organization, which is, you know, fraternity is much larger than, you know, our eight locations by, you know, a mile for sure. So, you know, the things that I learned on the professional staff, trying to translate that into, you know, my world within this restaurant um, industry has, has been a huge benefit for me. So, Give thanks to you, my friend. Appreciate you bringing me on up. Well, I think we both know you did. You put in all the work, right? We created structure, and it was it was our job to just go out and perform. So it's a lot of fun. That's the other part I, I wish we could. Well, I don't wish. I know we can share now because we're on this podcast together. But how much fun it is to put in all that work. How much fun it is to immerse yourself. How much, right? Like a lot of people see that work and they shy away from it when it actually is a lot of fun. If you have people around you that is a family and you care about you can enjoy it. Jocko Willis. What's, what's, what's his name? What's Jocko's last name? Willing. W yeah, Willink. W I L L I N K. Willink. Willink. His, uh, his sentiment of discipline equals freedom is, you know, something that I have on my phone. I, I think about all the time that discipline equals freedom. And when you have a group of you together, that's all striving for that same goal and, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, compete with each other a little bit for who can put it the best and do it the best. And that's, that's a fun level to play. It's a fun game to be in. And hopefully you can, you know, grab more players that want to be in that kind of game. 
we've gotten a lot of, I think, really, really good stuff. And, and hopefully those listening can draw a direct tie between a lot of what Jason's talked about and their own lives, whether that's in business or in the fraternity or in their family or otherwise. <laughs> I, I do have one uh, final little piece I'd like to, to go with here. You are in the pizza industry, uh, an expert, some would say. I got a little, uh, little pizza speed round rapid fire here for you if you're, if you're ready for it. Woo! We have not prepped, Jason. Let's go with so it. Come is... on. All right. All right. Let's go. Here we go. Set a timer. I don't, I don't know why we even need a timer. <laughs> All right. Favorite, favorite pizza topping. We'll start you out easy. Favorite topping. Pepperoni. All right. Rustic pepperoni. If it cups, right, it's got a cup a little bit, a little oil in the middle, a little spice. Woo! Yeah, a little, you get that fat in there, getting nice and crispy. I'm with you. You don't have to explain mm. it to me, bud. Favorite pizza style? Uh, um, I'm, I do like a Detroit-style pizza, which is a little bit thicker crust. I don't know if you've had Detroit-style. It's starting to make its way around the U.S. Um, is that my favorite, though? You know, I, I love pizza. It's just it's hard to put you know one out there. They're all good. That's do you cool. like blondes? I like brunettes, too. <laughs> okay. All Redheads right. are nice. All I'm, right. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay. Detroit style, it's got that little crispy ring around the crust too, right? You put that cheese on there and kind of cook it in the pan and let it bubble. Yeah. I've, I don't know mm -hmm. if I've ever had it, but, uh, I'm intrigued by it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the, the right. sad part is we, we don't even serve Detroit style pizza at my places. Well, maybe, maybe go for a little special, maybe a little February special Detroit yeah. style pizza on the menu. All right. What's the best type of cheese to put on a pizza? Mozzarella, hundred percent mozzarella. Fresh or fresh or off the block? premium fine grade cheese are we is that fresh mozz or is that is that off the block no that's that'd be off the block fresh mozzarella some buffalo uh is good but i like it spread on the whole pizza myself right, you, you gotta go whole milk right whole milk mozz yes all right oh, we're yeah. on the same page all right cool your favorite novelty pizza something a little outside the box that you like to indulge in from time to time um this isn't a good speed round for me. No, we glad we didn't set a timer. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Novelty pizza. What do you consider novelty? Like Everything's a Hawaiian, fair game. like a white Everything. pizza, like a breakfast oh, pizza. You know what? A breakfast pizza. It's been a while since I've had one. And Swensie, I know you were talking about you've got a good recipe for one. We might have to bring oh, you up oh, as a I surprise do. chef. I do indeed. All right. Uh, Sauce, cooked or raw? Raw sauce, but there's a distinction for sauce for us. You can have your sauce right cooked on the pizza and it's hot sauce. Right. Or try this next time. Dip your pizza into cold sauce. I like the little change of texture, Flavor. change of temperature, right? So good. So good. All right. Two more questions. Your favorite pizza accompaniment, favorite side dish when you're eating pizza? Hot sauce. Hot. If you're saying something to go on to the pizza. No, no, no. I'm saying like, like, like to serve next to the pizza, like a breadsticks, wings, garlic bread, something like that. Maybe we should have prepped. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. You should have prepped a this little is, bit. This will be the first and last speed round you do on the Teak Nation podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, some breadsticks. So Bread we call sticks. our spears and they're fantastic. Can't go wrong with that. All right. Carbs on carbs, baby. That's right. Last question here little controversy associated with it is chicago deep dish style pizza pizza yes yes it is i think okay. it's a fantastic form of pizza too all right 
Are you now? What's your opinion on that? I got to know your boys now. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. I just, I think, you know, you're from the Midwest. And so you've probably seen a little more deep dish pizza than somebody in the Northeast or on the West coast who might consider it to be more of like a casserole, but, uh, but no, I think it's, of course it's pizza. It's dough, it's cheese, it's sauce, it's toppings, it's pizza. Correct. Yeah, exactly. It's pizza, just a different form of it, baby. Right. If you like your New York big slice dripping all over you, that's fine. Or you can have a mouthful of uh, some Chicago deep style. You're deep just, you're, you're free choice on pizza. You're not going to discriminate. You're not a, sn- you're not a pizza snob. This, this is America. I agree with you. All right. That was, uh, that was rough. We'll do better next time. <laughs> Not the the whole interview was good. The speed round the speed round leaves a lot to be desired, but uh, can only can only go up from here. I appreciate you setting a very low bar on speed rounds, Jason, um, and it'll it'll serve the next guests for the Teak Nation podcast very well. Just doing what I can to better everyone. Very much appreciated. All right, pal. Well, we appreciate the time. Appreciate the wisdom. Everything you shared. Uh, always good to see you and speak with you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again very soon. All right. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Always good to talk to you two gentlemen. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Hopefully get you up here to spin some skins with us, Swenson. And Donnie, you and I are way overdue for a meeting. Absolutely. Thanks, Jay. All right. Catch you later. Thanks. Big thanks to Jason once again for joining us and sharing a little bit about his story. I think there's a lot of really really valuable information in there about how to work through adversity and, and when times are tough, how to bounce back, get back on your feet and, and, and keep moving. So thankful for him. Thankful for all of our guests today. It's been a star studded lineup here on the Teak Nation podcast. Got a lot to build off of from this episode. I will say too, when it comes to Jason, we have a lot of folks who are graduating who are interested in being an entrepreneur and Jason did a couple things. First of all, when he graduated from college, he actually came and worked for the international headquarters for a few years, right? And so in that, there's a great opportunity for us to be able to teach business and, and business principles, connect with a lot of these guys that we bring onto the podcast. All those connections can happen as a member of our professional staff. So if someone who's interested in possibly being on our staff, we are, we are going to have at least one opening as we go into the summer. So you can reach out at teak.org. You can email Alex or myself. You go to teak.org slash staff. Second piece is being an entrepreneur and the work that he's done in, in really elevating his business, his family's restaurant business. Someone that if you are interested in going down that path, you can always reach out again to Al or I, and we're happy to, to connect you with Jason and see if that's a relationship that could spark up and even possibly a mentorship as someone who has really brought that thing you know, to a different level and excited about the expansion that he's got in the days and years ahead. Yeah, I think it's one of the really cool, unique things about being in a fraternity is is just about everyone we talk to on this podcast, whether it's today, whether it's one of our previous episodes or one of our upcoming episodes, they're very accessible and and they're more than will- the fact that they were willing to come on and talk to us. They're willing to do the same thing for anyone out there who wants their advice, who wants their help. You just have to ask for it. And and being from the same fraternity or, or even Woody last week who is so passionate about fraternities and about growing all organizations, you just have to reach out and ask. And, and that's a position you are in because you're a teak, because you're a member of Talk Cap Epsilon that you would not have been in otherwise. So uh, yeah, Donnie's spot on. And I think Jason would be an excellent person to reach out to if you're looking for a little advice in that realm. Yeah. 
that is all we have for you today. Any closing thoughts from you, Donnie, the CEO of TKE Fraternity? Excited this week on Thursday, we will have the Regional Leadership Conference for Region 3. If you are someone who has not participated in any of the Regional Leadership Conferences, you, you can go to edu.tka.org, learn a little bit more about and see some recordings of some of the sessions that we've had. Or if you want, if you're in Region 3 or Region 4, you want to attend the, the RLC in one of those two time zones, uh, you can go to teak.org slash RLC and learn more as well. So excited about continuing on the RLC season virtually and focusing on recruitment, baby. How do we get more people in this wonderful family and pass along this gift of membership that's made such a large impact on our lives? Absolutely. We thank you all very much. If you're listening out there, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, whatever you need to do to make sure that you are the first to know when a new episode of the Teak Nation podcast drops, please do it. Reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, ideas for the show. We are very much open to uh, whatever you all out there have in mind for the rule of three for guest profiles or otherwise. And until next time, we hope you enjoy this first week of February and we'll see you soon. Thank you.